Well, good morning, everybody. And once again, we are glad to have you here with us. And thanks for your uh, flexibility and just continuing to adapt inside of these uh, difficult times that we're living on. Uh, today, as Bill mentioned, is Christmas Sunday. And if uh, you grew up in a tradition that really didn't do Christmas Eve services, today would be the main Christmas Sunday uh, where the birth of Jesus Christ would be celebrated. We want to invite you back to join us on Wednesday and Thursday evening, and I uh, hope that you'll make plans to do so. But today we uh, think and, and we kind of bring this series almost to a close in terms of the characters, because I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a hint that when we come back for Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve, we'll focus on the Christ child himself. But this morning, we're going to focus our attention on Mary. Now, Mary is the centerpiece of the Christmas story. And, and I know that what you're thinking is, no, really, Jesus is the centerpiece of the Christmas story. We don't have Christmas without Jesus. How could you say that Mary is the focus? But let me draw your attention to those Christmas plays or pageants, maybe that you participated in or your kids or your grandkids participated in, and think inside of all the humor and all the memories and you know, just some of those moments that came through the Christmas plays of old, who is the character that every young girl wants to be? Now, for the guys, and, you know, as, as you know, I came to know Christ at the age of 14, and so our little Methodist church in Monroeville uh, put together a Christmas play, uh, one of those next uh, winners after I became a Christian. And so I was chosen to be Joseph. And at the time, I thought that that was an honor and a privilege. What I soon found out was that Joseph had only one line. And as we talked about last week, even that line was made up because Joseph doesn't really speak inside of the New Testament. I had one line, and my job was to stand there and to look strong and, and to look loyal and to look dutiful and to look like someone who was prepared to handle the weight of raising the newborn king. And so I stood there, and I looked strong, and I said my one line, but that was really about it for Joseph. The wise men got to, to move around and do some things. To, uh, you know, the, the shepherds were able to, to make their way in and, and, and see an angel. But the star of the show and the person that everybody wanted to be was Mary. Mary has all the lines. Mary is in almost every scene. Mary gets to display emotion. Mary, when the lights go down and the spotlight comes on, it's her countenance looking down at the baby that steals the show. And I was thinking about that this week, after, especially after talking about Joseph last week. I remembered uh, finally those days where I got to play the role of Joseph. And also, I was reading, I came across something that an author said about what it means to be Mary. And he was remembering a similar uh, event, and he, and he says this, Growing up, everybody wants to be Mary. But did Mary want to be Mary? Everybody, when you think of the Christmas play or the story or the centerpiece of the nativity, uh, you know, other than Jesus himself, everybody wants to be Mary. But did Mary want to be Mary? And do we know the gravity and the weight and the enormity of the task that she took on? We mentioned last week about Joseph and when his willingness to divorce Mary quietly was willing to take upon himself the shame and the disgrace that the community would offer. And even though Joseph was willing to do that, you know and I know that Mary bore the brunt of that as well. You see, it was Mary who, when walking around Nazareth, eventually the, the clothes around her belly began to get tight. It was Mary who uh, had to listen to the things that people said about her. It was Mary who 
had to have the same conversation 50 times with every relative or neighbor and always hear those words, an angel? Really? It was Mary who had to endure that and had to bear that shame and disgrace. And even if Joseph stood in and took the legal weight and the financial weight of it, Mary still felt the relational and the personal shame and scorn. But in addition to this, Mary had to actually physically carry Jesus. Mary was pregnant. Mary was, uh, had morning sickness. You know, Mary's ankles began to swell. Mary had to take the long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary physically bore the Christ child. I wonder also if Mary knew, maybe not fully, and in fact we know not fully, but knew in part the roller coaster of emotions that would come her way by raising the Son of God. You see, Mary could not have possibly foreseen the cross, but she would know that from what is told to her about who this child is to be, things are going to get difficult, and there are going to be some people who aren't going to be happy about uh, his arrival upon this earth. There are some people who are going to be challenged by that. There are some people who are going to doubt. There are people who are going to speak ill of her son. And she knows, I believe deep down inside, that there's going to be times of adversity and challenge and pain. And you know that if you have children, that when you watch your kids go through something, you would much rather experience it yourself. And I wonder from the very beginning, in addition to the scorn and the shame and, and the physical toll, if Mary knew emotionally what this would cost. And then finally, Mary had to lay down her plans and her hopes and her dreams. And church history has the luxury of looking back and saying, well, she was so blessed to be able to, to be Jesus' mom, how much I would give you know, for that opportunity. But inside of the moment where Mary is brought into the course of redemptive history, the arrival of this baby means that all of her hopes and dreams and plans are put on hold or maybe set aside. You see, when we think about it, everybody wants to be Mary, but did Mary really want to be Mary? I want to read a portion of the story that comes just before the birth of Christ, but this is the moment where it is announced uh, from the angel Gabriel uh, to Mary, uh, that she would be pregnant with child. And this is in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse number 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, said to her Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the Holy Spirit 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And so this is the account really of the announcement to Mary about what is going to take place. This is the first she hears of it. Uh, we don't know uh, if there was any uh, background at all as far as with her spiritually or hearing from God. Uh, we can assume from her reaction that this is something that has never happened before. Mary, as you know, is a much younger girl than uh, typically we would expect. She's somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15, most likely poor and uneducated, a girl living in a small village of Nazareth uh, that, that most people believe only had between two and 400 residents living there at this time. It's such a small town that when two different Jewish scholars write about uh, the area of Galilee, which is really just a rural area anyway, uh, they list 145 and 163 different villages, and neither of them mention Nazareth. Mary is in the middle of a one-year engagement to Joseph, and an angel appears to her. We don't know where this took place. We don't know how. We don't know what the angel looked like. Uh, but we know that it startles Mary, maybe the appearance of the angel or just the fact that an angel would show up to speak to her. And his words are, greetings, you who are highly favored because the Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored by God, the Lord is with you. Now, if you grew up Roman Catholic or you have friends who are Roman Catholic, this uh, phrase uh, translated from them is used constantly. It's, you know, hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. This becomes a key phrase inside of Roman Catholicism. This statement right here. And you see for the Roman Catholic Church, this points to the what must be the sinlessness and the purity of Mary that this greeting, as well as what comes after it, would be extended towards her. That she would be worthy of carrying God's Son. But the idea, I think, goes a little bit deeper than that, and especially for us in the Protestant tradition to understand what's this mean for her to be highly favored or inside of the Greek, grace-filled or full of grace. You know from elsewhere inside of Scripture that uh, when grace is talked about, it's the unmerited favor. It's what we don't deserve being extended to us inside of Jesus Christ. Kindness and salvation Forgiveness and the blessing of God that we did not earn or deserve but have been freely given to us. And grace illustrates more about the heart of God more than it does the nature of the recipient. Grace illustrates more about the heart of God than it does the condition or the worthiness of the recipient. And so there's two things that are true here. That in Mary, uh, God has chosen someone uh, worthy, at least in the sense of deserving or able to carry out, or one who could be entrusted with a key role in redemptive history. To walk faithfully, to bear a son, and to raise him, and to nurture him. 
That, make no mistake about it, Mary has a key role in the mission and in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But the second thing that's equally true is that there is nothing that is abnormal, so abnormal about Mary that she is the only one that could do this, but Mary becomes a demonstration that when the grace of God is upon a person, when the grace of God is at work, the unmerited, unearned favor, blessing, forgiveness of God is at work in a person's life, all of a sudden the sky is open as far as potential, not necessarily because of who we are, but because of the character and the nature and the heart of who God is. So sometimes we don't give Mary enough credit, but I think also we need to realize that Mary becomes object lesson number one of the type of person that God can use and even how God can make up the difference in where we lack because of who he is. Now before we move on from this, let me just say one more thing that we struggle with this inside of the Christian faith sometimes, and you hear two different rival statements, sometimes even out of the same mouth, but sometimes out of different you know, Christian friends you might have. The first I call worm theology. Now, worm theology says that if it's all about God and if it's all about the grace of God, then I am nothing. I am worthless apart from the grace of God. I can do no good in and of myself. And so therefore... Uh, these type of people have difficulty taking compliments. You could say, oh, that tie is nice. They'll be like, glory to God, glory to God, because they can't take a compliment because they are so uh, enamored by the grace of God that it almost reduces them to thinking so poorly of themselves. And it's just almost as if the lower I view myself, the higher I can view God. And I don't think that that is completely accurate scripturally. The second is equally dangerous, and that is, uh, that when Jesus comes into my life, I can claim all that God has for me. And so the unmerited grace of God means that God has set me free, and now I can grow and expand and be all that God created me to be, and, and I'll still give God a nod of credit once in a while, but now I'm going to live my life my way because I have the greatest blessing inside of my life that's going to allow me to be who I can and who I want to be. And you know and I know that none of us buy into either one of these things fully, but at times they both creep into our lives. Where at times we're thinking the only way to elevate God is to desecrate myself. Or at times we think that if, you know, Jesus says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or that nothing's going to overtake me or overpower me or that God has plans for me to succeed, then if I just trust Jesus, then all of my dreams can come true and I can achieve everything that I want to achieve. And the reality is that there's a tension between those things that we see, I think, clearly in the life of Mary. Chosen for a big job in the course of human history. Probably because of her faithfulness. Maybe because of how she's grown up. Because God knew that, that she had been faithful in small things and that he could trust her with larger things. And yet also somebody who was transformed by the miraculous grace and favor of God to enable her to do that which she could never do in and of herself. So what follows here is a dialogue with the angel. And the angel, angel says that you're going to give birth to a child and, uh, and he's going to be you know, the king, the, the holy one, the one that we've been waiting for. And you're going to give him the name Jesus and he's going to be you know, the son of the most high and and, and all these different things that just, you can almost hear it kind of overwhelming Mary. 
And she says, how can this be? Because I'm only a virgin. And uh, the word there is almost the same as Shekinah glory, that God says the glory of the Lord will overshadow you. And what's going to be born in you is of the Holy Spirit. I love how it goes next, and it says that Mary pondered. Mary wondered. Mary even was, was troubled by this. And she asked questions back. And, and this is different. A few weeks ago, we talked about Zechariah. And Zechariah seemed to have an element of doubt and, and therefore was kind of voiceless for uh, the next several months. Mary's dialogue here is not one of cynicism or doubt, but of simply just dialogue and questioning. And let me just remind you again that God is not offended or put off by your questions, but inside of that relationship, and I believe one of the reasons that Mary was entrusted with this opportunity was because she already had that dialogue relationship with her God. And so her response, I am the Lord's servant. May it be just as you have said. Mary trusted and said yes to God. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if Mary had said no? Would it have just proceeded anyway as normal? Would God have moved on to somebody else? We don't know that, but I think what we know is that God uh, chose someone who we knew was able and willing for the task that was set before her. We've been saying all the month of December that Christmas is personal and that Christmas is relational. And that's such an understatement when it comes to Mary because it doesn't get any more personal or relational than her relationship with Jesus. And I want to just highlight just a couple of things for us as we close and as we begin this Christmas week together. You've heard the story before. There's nothing profound about any of these three statements I'm going to make, but I think we need this reminder today when we think about the idea that we need a little bit of Christmas. The first is that Mary had a simple faith. Her faith was simple. We know this because she was a simple person. She was from a small town. She was uneducated. She was poor. The scope of her reality wasn't very large, and so what she had, though, was an authentic relationship with God, and she recognized the presence of God. And when God spoke, she listened, and she responded. The second thing I think that we see is not just a simple faith, but a total surrender. There was no going part way. You could not go halfway in what Mary was called to do. She was all in from the very beginning because, after all, she was carrying Jesus for the next nine months. She was giving birth to Jesus. She was going to raise him for the next several years. She was going to be there as, uh, next to the cross as he breathed this last. And Mary's response is, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you said, I'll trust that you can make it happen. A total surrender. And the third, and I almost use, I struggle with the wording of this because it could make us think about nostalgia or just the feel-good moments, but I think there's also a sense of wonder in Mary. When we read words that Mary wondered, Mary pondered, after the birth of Jesus, when it says Mary treasured all these things in her heart as shepherd arrive and, you know, as wise men come, as the angel wakes up her husband in a, in a dream and says to go to Egypt, Mary ponders all these things in her heart. I think that there was continually a sense of wonder. And yes, maybe it was easier for her because she lived in the reality of it all. 
but I think inside of her life, it never got old or mundane. Even in the mundane days of Jesus, the four-year-old, or Jesus, the eight-year-old. I think we see throughout her life that she continued to cultivate a sense of wonder. That the enormity and the immediacy of the task did not choke out her recognition of the presence of God and her consciousness of what God was doing in her midst. So, we have less than a week before Christmas. What would it look like for you to pursue a simple faith? If you're like me, your life is anything but simple over the next 96 hours. There's a lot to be done, even in a season of COVID. What would it look like to worship Christ, the newborn king, in the simplicity of it all? Of an all-powerful God who created the universe, who wants to come and make himself known inside of your heart and your life. What would it look like that if Jesus is not just a part of your Christmas, but if Jesus is the centerpiece of your Christmas? And not just in the artwork or the movies or the nativity scene, but if Jesus was really at the center of you and your family's life this Christmas season. And I wonder what could it look like to recapture the wonder the all of God, the majesty of God. And I think it's more than just snow, even though I was thrilled that we had snow this week. It's more than just the, the songs of Christmas, even though I've been listening to Christmas music nonstop. It's more than the cookies, even though we made snickerdoodles this past week and they were great. It's more than the Christmas movies. It's even more than the family that you're going to see or not see. But what would it look like, even inside of this week, to once again recapture not just the wonder of Christmas, but our amazement at the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Because it says not anything about who we are, but the nature and the character of our God in sending Jesus. Inside the Christmas pageant, everybody wants to be Mary. But did Mary want to be Mary? Everybody wants to have a faith like this and to think, if only if I was just in Mary's seat, it would have been so easy to trust and believe. But we see that there was a cost that she bore and there was a weight that she carried. And in the midst of that, she cultivated a faith and a surrender and a wonder of the presence of God. And that's why I want to be a little bit more like this Christmas. Let's pray together. God, we would pray that inside of this week, Lord, that you would come and make yourself known. Lord, it's probably unlikely that we are going to learn something new about the Christmas story this week. It's highly unlikely that in the next few days we're going to hear a brand new song. So much of even what we like about this season is what is predictable and what's familiar. But in the midst of that, just as you did on uh, that Christmas 2,000 years ago, we pray that you would break through this week. That you would break through to, to bring us a faith that is uh, simple inside of our devotion and our allegiance to you. Lord, that you would help us to surrender our lives and our hearts to you. And Lord, that you might even rekindle a sense of wonder within us this week. Lord, would you go with us? Would you lead us? Would you meet us as Emmanuel, the God who was with us? 
We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.